Hi, Liz. Hey, Olivia. How's it going? It's going good. Welcome back to Women, Magic, and Power. Uh-huh. Good morning. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Okay. We're going to let everybody into a little secret. We were rolling by the end of the season. Last year, I want to say last year, but it was a school year. So this year, earlier. In the spring. Yeah. Um, and now we're starting over. And we've done some episodes with guests, and that's easier. But when we have to do these intros, we can't get it together. <laughs> <laughs> it was a busy summer, and mm-hmm. we're not quite settled into our fall business yet. Correct. But we're here, and so are you. So thanks for listening. And, you know, a little peep behind the curtains there for you guys. <laughs> we're really excited for today's episode. We are The guest that we have today, I mean, what a luxury for us. We're very lucky. She's much more high profile than our previous guests. Um, So her name And yet, so down to earth when we talk to her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So our guest today is Angie Pontani. She is a fabulous, fierce, amazing burlesque queen. And that basically says it all. The rest of it you can hear on our episode coming up next. Enjoy. Thanks for listening. Today we have Angie Pontani, the Italian stallionette. Um, She's a queen of burlesque and we're going to dig in. We're really excited to talk to her. Hi, Angie. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited to be here. This is our second remote interview ever, and we're very excited that you're on the other side. So far, so good. Because <laughs> we were too lazy to go to Brooklyn, basically. That's not lazy. That's a trip. <laughs> <laughs> it is a trip. It can be a trip, particularly BQE. Not fun. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Never well, thank you so much for joining us today. We're very excited to talk to you. Um, can you tell us a little bit about where you grew up and how you grew up? Um, you know, I know you grew up in a big Italian American community and, um, can you talk a little bit about how all of that sort of formed you? Yeah, I think my upbringing was very formative, uh, in the person that I am today. I grew up in Trenton, New Jersey, an Italian American community. All of my relatives were a couple blocks away. We saw each other constantly. It was this constant immersion in family and Italian American families. Like I say, I learned all my production skills from my family because it's like, (laughs) you know, you have your whole family coming over for dinner on Sunday. That production, that setup starts early in the morning. You know, you got the setup crew, you got the cleanup crew, you got the sweeper. Everybody has a job to create these giant moments of these family days and these family dinners. Um, So I learned a lot about production there. And then my family and most Italian Americans, you know, they're characters, they're loud, they're talking, there's a lot of passion. It's like all that Da Vinci art is now here, like in Trenton, New Jersey. So you have those, this bloodline of passion, but now it's focused on family and school and, you know, who's working at the jewelry store, who's working at the sub shop, like who's driving who to the doctors, all the stuff like that. So it was a big, loud family. Um, and I just think I learned so much about being big and loud, (laughs) you know, and then Liz, you know, because we went to high school together, my family moved from Trenton, um, when I was about 12 years old and we moved to Titusville, which is a suburb of Trenton. And it was this insanely stark contrast. And when we got to Titusville, I realized that 
there was a different, so many different worlds. There were things happening in that area that would have never happened in Trenton, like people sleeping over friends' houses. Like, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> so my insularness opened up a bit to the different kinds of lives that people can lead outside of Trenton. And, you know, I went into a very different school system where I didn't really fit in so much. I felt like a real oddball out there. And I think that that, well, at that moment was very difficult for me. It helped me to realize that I'm who I am. And sometimes it's hard to be who you are. And sometimes in the moment, it's hard to not fit in. But it's a great thing to kind of feel sometimes because you're not always going to fit in. And you punch through. And it's the punching through that really gets you to the glory in life. And, and that's really what I, I learned from that transition. And I think that that especially carrying over to my life in show business, it's really good to know who you are and not care too much about what other people think of you. What carried you to tune into yourself? Like, was it family? Was it like a connection to a higher power? Was it, you know, women in your life? Was there? Yeah, for sure. A lot of my challenges when we moved, just from stylistically feeling a lot different, you know, there weren't Birkenstocks and Trent, and you wore gold, you didn't wear silver. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This is, I'm going to sideline into my favorite, this is like, this is the epitome of my, like when I try to explain to people, I remember when I first got to Hopewell, first we rode the bus, which was weird because we just walked to school um, in Trenton or my mom would drive us. But I remember I came to school the first day and everybody had these collared shirts on, right? And I was mm -hmm. like, what the, was it the alligator, right? Is that what it was, yeah. the alligator? Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, I'm going to, I have a collared shirt. So the next day I wore the college shirt I had. It was a red shirt that I got in Disney World that had Mickey Mouse on it. <laughs> and everybody laughed at me and I missed the mark. And that's when I stopped trying to fit in. But I also, um, when we when I switched schools, I came from Trenton, which was a very underserved poor district. Um, and I was a very bad student there. So when we got to Hopewell, I fell deeper into a, being a terrible student. And I was actually in special ed. I got diagnosed with a learning disability. And this is when I was like 12 years old. So this is a very difficult mm -hmm. time to be going through these things. So not only did I feel like a social oddball, I was an academic failure as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the support system in the school, it absolutely sucked. You know, it was totally terrible. Um, and so that those were where a lot of my problems came from. And I found refuge in art. I loved art classes. I found refuge um, in theater with uh, Mr. O'Brien, who I loved. He passed away. It was so tragic. Mm -hmm. But he pushed me. And he, he never coddled me. He pushed me. Um, and that helped me quite a bit. And I found solace in the people in my family that I've always felt solace with. My grandmothers, my Aunt Norma, and my mother, they just have that, they had, my, my grandmothers and my Aunt Norma, this very tough, like, you just keep going. You just mm -hmm. keep going. You just go, go, go. And, you know, my family wasn't educated. My mother would come in there and fight with them every day and push for me and push for me and push for me. And I don't even know what we were pushing for because I had no academic future, but she tried. She never gave up. So that's where I think I just got this grit that you just go. You just go, 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 and you fight as hard as you can. You know, and that's what I did. And getting through that allowed me to get to the next level of my life where I truly found myself. And look at you now, right? Yeah. You yeah. have to get back up. And I think that there's only one way to learn that, and that's to fall down. Mm -hmm. That's to do it. And yeah. what you were saying about, uh, you know, 
being yourself and being comfortable in yourself and not really caring about what people think, it's maybe the most valuable lesson in life to be able to live a life where you're not constantly questioning yourself. Um, And that was also a decision that I made very early on in my life. Um, And I have a son who's in middle school right now. And we, he and I talk about this all the time, just saying, you know, be you and that's all you need to be. A hundred percent. I feel like that was the best lesson that I ever learned. And it was my mother who always like, who cares what people think? But she said it with the F word in it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But it it was, and it's helped me so much. And that's not to say that even now where I am right now in my life, sometimes I'll walk into a room that I'm nervous to walk into and the little voice will pop in my head and be like, you shouldn't have worn this stupid outfit. You look, you you know, like you're not right for this moment. It still comes in. And it's just like, no. No, no, no. I'm who I am and I earned every single step of it. So just get out my head, you know, but you know, it always creeps up, but you just, you have to have the chops to chop it down. Yeah. Yeah. And that being, being able to say, get out of my head. Yeah. Get out. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. How did that transition into dancing and performing past high school? What, what happened next? Well, you know, in high school, it was the one place that I felt comfortable and really um, had fun and just felt like I was doing a good job. And every kid needs that. You need to have something that you're you're good at and you're comfortable in and you flourish at. And that was that for me. And when I got, when I left uh, high school, I went to NYU for theater and um, I didn't last very long, which was no shock at all. And I said this to my mother the other day, how could I have ever with the education background and the executive functioning skills that I had, like NYU was sweet to let me in, but really, <laughs> there's no, there's no way that I could have succeeded there at that time. But what I did succeed in is just getting sucked up into the soul of the city. Like I came here, I was 17 because I was the young, the young zone of our, of our high school. Um, and I just, you know, NYU campus is in the village. You're surrounded by so many amazing things. Mm -hmm. I got a job working in Tribeca. I met people who were performing in the nightlife scene. And I just instantly was like, this is so much more exciting than going to school and wearing a unitard and pretending to be a tree. Like that's just (laughs) not, I don't. I don't want to do that. Like this is, it's right here. Yeah. Why am I there? I don't want to be there. I want to be here. So I did, I left and I went there and I just started working in nightclubs because at that time, I mean, it still happens now. It was a bit more organic then. There were just these really cool big dance numbers that were happening and these different types of performance art that were on one hand, this classic 1940s, 50s vibe of song and dance, but they were also edgy and pushing envelopes. And so I just, I just fell in love with it. And I got into a show called Dutch Wiseman's. I was literally, I think maybe 18 um, and maybe 19. I'm not sure, but it was, I was nowhere near 21. I was on the underside of it by a couple of years. Um, and I got in the show and it was a burlesque revival show. And it was just everything I loved. It was the pure heart of entertainment. And that was it for me. It resonated in every muscle, right? Yeah, it resonated in every muscle. And when I got into this world, I found all these skills that I didn't know I had and things that I was good at. I could I could sew a costume, you know? I couldn't pass math class, but I can give me a pattern. I'll sew your costume, you know? I could do your hair. I could do your makeup. I can keep books. I can tally ticket sales. There's so many functional things that I could do that I could never access these abilities in school. But when I got out into the world, 
being in an environment that I loved, feeling good about myself, all of these things just fell into place for me. And I wasn't just good at it. I was really good at it, you know? So it fed my soul. People believed in me. They saw what I was doing. They believed in me and it just continued to push me. And I love I that love you it. did everything. It sounds like, yeah. you, like you were like, okay, we got to sew also, we got to sell tickets yeah. because there's nothing like learning from experience. You got to go out there and you got to hit the ground running and you got to like catch up and do it. And if you're good at it, then feel encouragement to do more. A hundred percent. And in show business specifically, it's like a really nice to have a 360 view of everything that it takes. So I don't make my costumes anymore, but I know what it takes to make them. So I can be very communicative with my costume designer. I understand timelines. I know the elements from press and promotion to ticket sales, to costuming, to choreography. I did it all and yeah. I can still do it all if I want. I can to. relate to that with like restaurants. We work in yeah. restaurants. I worked in restaurants for a whole bunch of time through my life and I can wash dishes I can like be the server I can run the restaurant I can run the number you give me any role like if someone doesn't show up I'll be able to do their job and yeah. so then I also feel the confidence of well if I'm going to tell you how to do it it's because I've done it I know how to do it it's, it's yeah. just, um, it makes you another kind of boss as well right like, I think it makes you the best I mean you can't steer the ship if you don't know how to drive it and you don't know what it takes mm -hmm. you know so I think it's Knowing what it takes is just, it makes you a better boss for sure. So doing all these things that where you felt competent and more than competent, did that help? Did that make you feel powerful? Oh, absolutely. You know, it made me feel really good. Um, and it made me feel a power within each task that I was doing. You know, I'm the kind of person, like when you throw me, I don't really think about things a lot. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but when I started working in show business, I was so excited that I was actually in this space. I just went, went, went. And I did feel power within the things that I was doing, and I felt competency within that. But I don't think it's been until the last few years when I look back at my body of work that I'm like, girl, wow, you know? And I think I feel more power within that now, looking back on the things that I did and the shows and the tours that I put together and the stages that I've been on and the people that I've worked with. And I'm just like, whoa. And if I thought too much about it when I was doing it or when I am actually in these moments, I, I might have a heart attack. Yeah. <laughs> just press recklessly onward. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's worked so far. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about your career in burlesque. When you got into it, you started right at the beginning of the revival of burlesque, yeah. right? And I mean, we talked in 2003 when I wrote my master's thesis on the revival of burlesque and it was sort of just starting to gain traction at that time and now sort of everybody knows burlesque and people see stuff and it's you know it's gone mainstream so tell us a little bit about what it was like being at the forefront of that for all these years while you tell us that tell us why you picked that um yeah I you know burlesque picked me more than I picked it when I started in this show Dutch Wiseman's I didn't even know what the word burlesque meant. When I realized what it meant, I then acknowledged that I'd been watching elements of burlesque my entire life. Like burlesque is an over-the-top style of entertainment. We connect it largely with striptease because that's the most popular element of it. But it's comedy, it's jazz, it's the celebration of the female form. It is in its own sense a real platform for women's empowerment. And it always has been in the ideology that, you know, when it first started in America in the late 1800s and early 1900s, this was the only place where a woman could take center stage and, and make big money. And when it first started, it was all about parody. So 
there were these ladies up there dressed as men, but in stockings, you know, like doing like spoof comedy on politics of the ages. So from that, it segued into what it is now, which is largely identified with the strip tease, you know, and this over-the-top female figure. When you think about that, it's like you've been watching burlesque when you watch Saturday Night Live. You know, you're watching burlesque when you see all these movies from the 1950s with Rita Hayworth and the 60s, Barbarella. Like, these are all elements of burlesque. And this is the imagery that I was always attracted to as a child. My dad loved all these movies. We would watch every musical, everything with dance numbers and singing and dancing ladies. So that's where it first seeped into my head. When I got into the show Dutch Wiseman's, I looked it up and I learned more about it. And I found out about people like Betty Page and Tempest Storm. And, you know, this was the beginning. I was part of the first wheel of this movement. It was happening, you know, all over the city. Like maybe like a dozen people were doing it. And we didn't really even know each other. And then ultimately we kind of came together and then it just grew, this, this wheel grew. But those early days were so fun. And they were so magical and organic and they can never be replicated because, you know, burlesque now is so big. I can go on YouTube and I can look up a number and people can see somebody's act. Oh, I'm going to get that skirt and I'm going to do this and I want to do this. And oh, I saw this in that movie and oh, blah, blah, blah. Back then, everybody's ideas were really original because we didn't have access to that material. So you were really experiencing, and I don't want to diminish today's scene because also those tools can be amazing. But there was this real passion-driven originality that was happening at that time that could never be replicated, you know. And it was really amazing to watch it grow and slowly uh, spread across the country or in other places like Los Angeles, where it was also some, like happening at the same time. Connect what to those dots. This? this was uh, well, we started, gosh, 1990, 1995, I think, is when I started with Dutch Wiseman's. When it really started to catch on across the country was more like 99, 2000. Yeah, um, I was but, just looking up like Moulin Rouge came on in like 2001. I'm sure that's- Yeah, that and that was old by then and we were all like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> but that's like a cop, you know, that's like a cop watching Law and Order. I could laugh at that, you know, it's like, come on. I'm not right. expecting to see anything. Or even like when Burlesque the movie came out, I was dying. Yeah. It's like, first of all, a club with a band like that, you're never going to survive. There's no way you're paying those bills. Like, <laughs> so, but you know, but by the time it started to really take fire, it was like the early 2000s. And that's when it was really getting popular. And I, I never imagined that it would last this long. Like everybody always says, it's a niche, it's a revival, it's this, it's that. But clearly it's got a lot of staying power. And if you look at it historically, it is a, like an American original theatrical art form. Like it has such deep roots here that just go beyond, you know, striptease. It, it should have a, a home that stays. But yeah, I'm, I'm really proud to have been a part of that first wave. I'm still here. <laughs> and doing good. Yes. <laughs> so how does it feel to be on stage center with the striptease part, but also all the comedy and the edge and mostly the power? How does it feel for you to be on the stage? You know, it, it feels amazing. I always say when I'm on stage and I have a, a really good go at it, I feel like I'm on vacation. I'm like five minutes, I'm on vacation, but it's not just me alone. It's the band, it's the audience. Like we all go to this great place together. I don't even think about singular moments when I'm out there. I'm just 
flying on a magic carpet. It's it's really a euphoric feeling when it's a great performance. And it's not always a great performance. And my husband tells me you can't tell the difference from the audience when it is. So that's good. But, <laughs> you know, yeah, I was like, okay, I'm happy. Because the whole time I was up there, I was like thinking in my head. The good performances are when you don't think in your head. You're just flying off on eagle's wings. You Feels know? like and magic a little. It absolutely feels like magic. It is magic. And it, for me, it's such a gift to make people happy and take people with me on this joyous ride because I'm having a great time up there. It's almost like it's a transcendental kind of experience, right? Absolutely. It really is. We're all leaving the present place and time for a little bit. Oh, yeah. And, you know, in, in burlesque especially, because, you know, I've done all kinds of performances, straight dance, theater. In burlesque, there's something really special and unique because, you know, people get nervous. They're like, you're going to take her clothes off? Oh, it's like this so precious thing. It's really not that precious, you know? Like, and it's, it's once people realize that, they have more fun. So it kind of like drops armor. It makes people relax and we all just kind of take it down a bit and be like, but this is, it's kind of funny. It's not serious. When yeah. you your husband, just because you're talking about him, like, tell us a little bit about that because I want to get to motherhood, but. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Um, my husband is Brian Newman. And we met in the early 2000s. He was playing in a band here in the city, and I hired the band to do shows to play for me because I love live music. I love performing with live musicians. It's talking about transcendental. It's like a whole nother level because now you and the band are one entity. When you get really in sync with the band, I can you could take a song that's two minutes and make it last 20 minutes. I mean, I don't know if the audience wants that, but I love it, you know? So it's like you're, you're, you're riding with these musicians and it's so awesome. Um, so I've always loved playing with live bands and I met him then. Funnily, at the time, I don't even know if funnily is a word, but at the time, he asked me out on a date and he knew I liked the Mets. He spent all this money. He got us front row tickets. I don't know if you call it front row tickets at the sports games, but we were like in the front row and Ferris Bueller was literally sitting behind us. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, he like spent the mother load. But I thought he was so chill. I thought he was just like asking me as a friend, you know, because he was like, Andrew, you want to go see the Mets? And I was like, yeah. So we went to the game. And then after it was over, I was like, I'll see you later, Brian. And I jumped on the train and I, I don't know, went home. And he was so mad because this was like, he, this was a date to him. And I was like, bye. Yeah. Um, so he really didn't talk to me much for the next couple of years. <laughs> and then our mutual friend, Murray Hill, uh, was out with him one night. And he was like, oh, Angie's dating all these losers. Will you please call her again? And he called me again and we went out and... Our second first date was, that was it. And then I invited him to my little sister's wedding the next week. My whole family was like, you don't have a date for the wedding. Oh my God. <laughs> so I was like, do you want to come? Everybody loved him. And we literally got engaged like four months later. So, and he's phenomenal. He's um, really smashed it. He's a Lady Gaga's jazz band leader. He performs in Vegas all the time. I mean, he's just, he just does such major stuff and he's, so amazing at what he does it's really phenomenal but when well, we work together phenomenal to me is that he i mean obviously he's in the show business but it, but he is so supportive of what you do and lets you shine which is amazing well he better <laughs> you better, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah no listen there let's just do we it. are two we are two like, big showbiz egos in the same house it's not always pretty you know <laughs> 
<laughs> we have to like switch billing on and off. I'm like, well, this is my show. That was yours. Your names could be on top for this one. I'm on top for this one. But you know, we and in the beginning we had a really hard time working together because we're totally different personalities. Like when it comes to showbiz, I'm so organized. I like to rehearse. I like to talk about everything way before. Brian is like Dean Martin. He could just walk in and do it. You know, I'm like, I can't just walk in and do it. So we, we found our common ground and really the last five years, it's just been amazing. But he is incredibly supportive of me. People are always like, you know, does your husband have a problem with you doing burlesque? I'm like, well, if he did, he wouldn't be my husband. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know? beauty, right? You knowing who you are and not changing for anyone, right? Oh, like- completely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I have yeah. like, we we love each other. I mean, people are like, are you jealous? All the girls kissing him and hugging him after the show. I'm like, no, I'm like, give me your camera. I'll take a picture. (laughs) (laughs) But it's funny how we still quarter of the way through the 21st century Uh here in America, like we still get this, you know, does your husband mind or does he let you or, oh my God, he's so nice to, you know. Or is your husband babysitting tonight? That's my favorite. Yeah. So like I go on, like I go on these walkabouts every year for like, a week 10 days almost two weeks and everybody's like is your husband gonna be okay I can't believe he's you know lets you do that I'm like why why would I share my life with a person who wouldn't do that right this idea that we have to be still getting permission yeah the patriarchy is strong the patriarchy is very strong (laughs) it is strong but I really feel like that's what we talked about in the beginning about knowing who you are knowing what you want like I will always honor that because I'll be miserable if I don't I talk about this in show business, though. Yeah. Do you find yourself in, like, when you were saying, sometimes I feel nervous getting into a room, does that still happen a lot to you where you walk in and dudes that that might not be so open to the idea of a woman coming in and telling them what she wants and how she wants it? Oh, for sure. And uh, women, too. You know, Um, I think sometimes with specifically with what I do, some women hate it. You know, Uh, they think I'm the devil. They think that I'm, uh, you know, setting feminism back 100 years. And that's happened to me as well. But show business can be so particular. And I always like I tell my nephews this when they are audition for plays. I'll tell it to sis one day. If someone rejects you, there could be one million reasons why it's happening. But at the end of the day, none of them really have anything to do with you and your talent. And I've rejected people from shows and they could be great performers, but maybe that's just not what I'm looking for. Second greatest gift you can give yourself in addition to not giving a flying F is to just not take rejection to heart. Like don't let it define you because your moment's going to come. But yes, like if I'm up for a private party or if I have a meeting with like a big um, a corporate client, I'm always thinking like, oh, they're not going to want me. My butt's too big. I'm too short. I'm too old. I have tattoos. Those thoughts will all fly into your head. You know, there's never a day where I think you won't have that internal moment. But like we talked about before, you just push through it. And I have like at the height of my success, I have been rejected from things. It's part of the game. You know, it's part of the game. You just take it personally. You're putting yourself out there. All the oh people. yeah, that's... in a in a brutal way. <laughs> you gotta have thick skin. <laughs> yes, for sure. Do you ever find yourself in a low and you're like, I can't believe this is happening? Or is it always, you know what? Let's move forward. This is not it. Let's just. I move forward. Um, you know, I I've always kind of adapted this philosophy that you can't fight with crazy. 
And if I have like a, a very different principle than somebody else, I'm not going to try to, I'm not going to convince you. Yeah. How am I going to convince you? You think what you think. I think what I think. I'm just going to go on my merry way and do a great show somewhere else. I love you it. Know? You mind your own business. I think yeah. we should all do. Yeah. Right. You know, if it's a little thing, whatever, I don't care. But if it's like a real principle difference, then I just don't even want to be there. I'm just going to move on. And I do, I've done that too with venues. If I work in a venue and I don't feel good in that venue, I, I really don't want to work in that venue. I will find another one. You know, it's, yeah. it's showbiz. You have to feel good where you are. You can't do a good job. So let's go back to motherhood for a minute. Your daughter came along. Yes. <laughs> um, I want to talk about, because we, you know, did a little research and we spied on your Instagram. You were talking about your curls and how you used to iron your hair and then you had your daughter and she has beautiful curls and how that kind of like changed your mindset into, I don't want to show her that I don't love a part of my body that, you know, she also has. You finding your own power in the show business and, you know, realizing this is what I want to do and then turning out to be like burlesque and owning your body. How did motherhood make this stronger? Yeah, absolutely. When I had my daughter, it was definitely, first of all, it was a big surprise. <laughs> uh, so we were like, what? Okay. It, it's been an amazing journey. And, you know, you talk about power. Uh, pregnancy, I felt, was a time where I learned about true power while losing all my power. Because you're losing control of your body. You're losing control of your schedule. You're losing a lot of control of the things that are happening. And where are you going to be? And you're at the doctors and you're like, you kind of just feel like your whole body has been hijacked in a sense. So while it's glorious and magical, it also just takes your life and spins it on its ear in a way that you, you kind of like, I felt like I, I lost a lot of who I was and my powers and knowing who I was. But then what I really gained from that, that I learned afterwards, you really gain power when you can function without everything that you're used to, like all the tools that you're used to. When you can spin it on an ear and still come out on top, you're winning. So going through that period of pregnancy where I feel like I lost so much of who I was, then I had sissy. And you know, when I was before, when I first got pregnant, I was like, I'm going to go to work three months after I'm, I'm done having the baby. I'll be fine. I'm going to go back to work. Everything's going to be fine. Nothing's going to stop me. And then I was like, I'm dead. <laughs> like, I can't. I, like, I went and I did this one show in Philadelphia and I look at the pictures and I'm like, oh girl, my boobs were huge. I was pumping backstage. My sissy was at my mom's. I got back at three o'clock in the morning. She was awake. I was like, this is miserable. And so then I said, I'm, I'm going to stop and I'm going to live in this moment. And I'm going to howl at the moon with my daughter at three o'clock in the morning. And this is where I'm going to be. And I found that to be very empowering of a time for me. Well, it was also brutal. I just felt like I was in this natural cycle. Well, because you, know? you said something several times that I think it's key, which is control, right? Yeah. It's so hard to give up control. Mm -hmm. But it makes us so much stronger in the end, mm. you know, because now here you are, you're like, oh, if I did that, I can do anything. But as she got older and I did, I did want to go back to work. And one of the reasons I wanted to is because I love my work and I wanted to share with her so many of the amazing things that I get to do and be a part of. And once she was old enough and I was, could sleep at least five hours, you know, I went back to work and I would take her with me. I would go to Canada and I would take my mother-in-law and my husband would come and she would be with me and come to sound check and experience all these things. She toured Italy with me and we did all these amazing things together. And I want her to see me 
doing all of this, you know, and see me out there and, and be proud of it and be a part of it. And yeah, I want her. And with the hair, talking about just the hair and body image, like I want her to not grow up with what we grew up with mm-hmm. skinny, you know, like don't eat this. Uh, you have to look like this and this and this. No, I always tell her, I work out to be strong. I eat this to be healthy so I can be here with you until you're 99 years old, okay? Like, yes. So I can stay here. And, and and I try to spin the conversation where it's just like, it's just about your wellness, you know? And I want to reflect that to her. And accepting yourself, like with the hair, that was a big one for me because I never even knew how to do my hair. I literally had curly hair, but I still got perm when I was in high school. I'm like, I don't understand that. (laughs) You know, so embracing that and sharing it with her. And now she has her whole little hair routine and it's really cute and she gets into it. But I think that that's important. And we have to show our kids that through the words that we use and the lives that we lead. 100%. It shouldn't be the message. No, absolutely. A lot of power in what you do because the body comes down to power right like this is who you are and it's powerful no absolutely and even like for me that was a big thing when I started dancing people were like you're so brave to do this with your body type and I'm like I was like I'm brave I didn't fight in world war ii I'm not brave like you know like what what you know because I have an athletic build I've always had an athletic build I've I've been fired from gigs Tom Ford fired me from a Gucci gig because I was too athletic. I do think it's important to have these different representations out there and to get to the place where we don't think a second thought about it. Mm -hmm. We don't have to have conversations about it, you know? Mm -hmm. Get over it. Sexy is a state of mind. Sexy is the way you walk into the room. Your confidence comes from inside you. You're not Kate Moss and granted confidence. You know what I mean? Like you have to manifest these things yourself and that's all that matters. And I think it all comes back to just Serving yourself, you know, I mean, while being kind and considerate to everybody around you, but serving yourself and don't like, I've always hated magazines. Like I hate um, like entertainment TV shows where all they talk about is what people wear and, oh, who got skinny and who got weight and who's going gray, who cares? Like, you know, this is what we're focused on. We have bigger fish to fry. I'm not wasting my life minutes on that. Because there's a lot of focus on women and age and looks Constantly. and there shouldn't be. No, absolutely. And I try to share that with her. And, you know, there's words that we don't use. Like, I hate the word ugly. I hate the word stupid. Like, these are words that I just hate. And I really try to keep kindness and compassion with other people. And, and just, it's it's not about these things that we all wish we had or this and that, like these conversations that I can't stand. Not this, I love this conversation, yeah. but these greater conversations that permeate and, and soak into the little brain. Because it's everywhere, right? Yeah. It's completely pervades our society. All of these the ways that adults model what should be, the more we can have different kinds of models that look not runway models, but you know, just yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. people that role you, models, role models, right? <laughs> people that you see in the public sphere who embrace and are celebrated and are different in all kinds of ways. It's only a good thing, right? And I, I feel like burlesque also does a really good job of embracing all different kinds of bodies in a way that other art forms have yet to emulate. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the reasons that it's still here and that it took off so much. I mean, the largest 
like fan base for burlesque is women, you know, women love it. And I think that's because they see something in it. That's like, okay, I can absolutely love myself. I, I don't need to be confined to this image of what I should be to be sexy. I mean, there's all different body types up here and I'm looking at them and guess what? They're sexy. Yeah. yeah. And they're real. And they're real. Yes, absolutely. So I, I think that is a, a large part of the magic of it. How does a higher power show up for you? You are Italian. I am Italian. I say my prayers. Um, I do feel like my higher power for me is I really like, I talk to my grandmom a lot. Like her, her spirit energy for me is very strong. And my aunt Norma, um, my grandma, Joe, my aunt Norma, like it's kind of like the aunt, my ancestors, you know, I, I think of them and I talk to them all the time. And I think about how strong that they were in so many different situations in a much different way, in ways that were much stronger than I have ever been, you know, having to deal with things that I've never had to deal with. And I think about them and I'm thankful for my life and I kind of call on that power. I say I howl at the moon, like I do literally howl at the moon sometimes. And I taught this to my daughter too. And it's not my, another woman told me this and this is this beautiful woman that I adore. And she used to watch this sometimes. And when I first had her, she said, when things get really tough and like those nights that are just so brutal, just go outside and howl at the moon. And I was like, okay, now I live in Brooklyn, so I'm not going to go outside at three o'clock in the morning, but I will go up my window and howl at the moon. And it feels so good. And you feel really connected to something when you howl at the moon. So I really endorse it. My neighbors think I'm crazy, but it does help me to feel connect it and I kind of thing it's totally primal and I believe in the spiritual world and I I do feel very connected to that but you know I think your inner power just comes from yourself and you've got to find it and within that it can lead you anywhere any other message that you want to pass along to the little women out there just be true to yourself and sometimes it's not clear what yourself is um, but you'll find it you just have to keep going And don't be resistant to change. I mean, that's something that I've learned every step of my career. Like before I had cysts, I was on tour constantly. I was in Australia for four weeks and I would come home for a couple of days and then I would go to Italy and then I would come home and then I would go tour the Midwest. And I loved that life. I worked in the city like four nights a week. I loved that life. After I had cysts and when I tried to start going back to work, I tried to go back to that life, but that life didn't fit me anymore. Mm -hmm. And I was miserable and I wasn't doing Uh, like my the best job that I could do and I really got caught the blues on that one and then I realized like life changes and you have to change with it so don't be resistant to that don't try to say oh this was my glory days and I'm going to stick to that evolve we have to evolve and you're not giving up you're not losing something you're growing so just try to keep that in, in the forefront of your mind because I think that's a big key to life because it changes and we change with it and people around us change and it's like you just got to go with it I agree that's beautiful very yeah. well said Angie thank, thank you, you. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us yeah today. this was amazing absolutely happy to thanks for listening everybody join us next week when we talk with druid Roma Johnson And don't forget, you can catch up with all of our episodes on Apple Music, Spotify, or any other of your preferred platforms.